Beruchim Abayim, welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 82. Today, we're going to discuss a very sensitive subject. So if you're too sensitive and you want to leave, I would advise you to leave now. <laughs> I don't like talking about sensitive topics because it's not so much a, a fear. It's more of feeling other people's pain. And if you say things that cause other people pain, It's not a good feeling and it's not the right feeling. But sometimes there's no choice. Sometimes you talk to your children about things that make them feel bad, but there's no choice. Because ultimately, there's something good that will come out of it. So sometimes in life we have to talk about things like this. And especially that we're discussing the subject of Simha. There's no way we can complete this topic of Simha if we don't give proper respect and attention to this most important subject. If this subject wasn't one of the most important in our lives, I would completely ignore it. Let me share with you a Gemara in Masechet Makot. The Gemara describes how we all know there are 613 mitzvot in our Torah. The Gemara says that the word Torah, if you add up the letters, is 611. Torah, Tzivalanu, Moshe. Moshe gave us 611. And two more, Hashem Himself gave us, by Har Sinai, Anuchi Hashem, and the second, Lo Yiyeh. 613 mitzvot that basically touch every part of our lives. But then the Gemara says that there were times in history where people were no longer able to focus on so many things at one time. I think we can appreciate that. So some great people came and told the nation they should focus on much less mitzvot. Of course, not to ignore any mitzvot. That's not what they meant, obviously but to focus their attention on specific mitzvot and from those mitzvot they will be able to graduate. It says David Melech came ve'he'emidan al-ahat esre. 
David HaMelech, he narrowed it down to 11. 11 things that we need to focus on. And at some point later on in the generations, even that was too much. 11 was too much. Ba Yeshayahu ve'ha'emidan al-shesh. Yeshayahu cut it down to six. And later on, even that was narrowed down. Ba micha ve'ha'emidan al-shalosh. Micha narrowed down to three. So the Gemara discusses what are those three. Actually, the Gemara discusses all of them. I just didn't go into it. Brings a pasuk from the Navi. Higid lecha adam matov. Uma Hashem doresh mecha. Meaning, bottom line is, what does Hashem see is most important for you? So he says, Ki'im. Asot mishpat. You need to do mishpat. Ahavat chesed. That's number two. And number three, I will get to in a minute. What is mishpat? What does that mean? Focus on mishpat. If there are only three things in life that you could focus on. And give all your attention. Again, not to ignore everything. But these really make them complete. Do it the best. Mishpat means judgment. But it's not only talking to judges. It's talking to every person. We're also judges. Mishpat means that make sure that in your relationships with people, you're not hurting people. You're not annoying people. You're not destroying relationships in your family, your brother, your sister, your spouse, your children, your parents, your cousins, your neighbors, your community members. Make sure you're not embarrassing people. Make sure you're not talking Lashon Hara about people. Make sure that you don't play music too loud in the middle of the night. Make sure that you don't wake people up with noise that's coming from your house. All of that and much more is under the category of mishpat. Mishpat means continuously check yourself, judge yourself, that you're not doing to people what you don't want done onto you. That's one category. This needs a daily review. I don't think this is a monthly review. Every day, at the end of our day, we should take a couple of minutes just to to remind ourselves of our day if we could have done a little bit better. The second item is Ahavat Hesed. Hesed is not focused so much on what you did wrong. It's about what you're supposed to be doing. Are you giving enough of your time of your money, of your talent, of your words. Hesed, ahavat hesed. Ahavat hesed means to love living life for others. To think less of yourself 
not less of yourself. That was wrong. You should think a lot of yourself. You should less about yourself and more about others. Ahavat chesed, to love kindness. You know, kindness is more than tzedakah. Hazal tell us that chesed is greater than charity in three respects, in three areas. Number one, charity you can only do with your money. But when it comes to gemilut hasadim, you could do it with money or you could do it with your body. You could do it with your words. You could do it with your actions. You can help people. You can open the door for people. You can walk people home. You can visit somebody. You could keep someone company. You can call somebody. Another advantage of chesed over charity is that chesed you can do both for aniim and ashirim, for poor or rich. Charity, you could only give people who are poor. But chesed, you could do for everybody. The most wealthy people need a lot of chesed. Not charity, but chesed. Very often, people who are very, very popular are very lonely. Sounds a little weird, but it's true. People who look like they have everything need so much more kavod. What you need to give an average person of respect, a person who thinks they're bigger than life, needs more honor. Maybe they shouldn't need it, but they do. So you could do hesed by making them feel special. Also, when it comes to charity, we don't look like at our family as charitable recipients. I hope we don't look at our wives, our husbands, our children as our charity recipient. We don't do tzedakah with our family. That's not the right way. For example, if a person is giving ma'asir, if they're giving 10% of their earning to charity, it should not go to family. Family is not a charity case. Family is your obligation. There are certain times in halakha where there's no choice and you could take the money from charity. But preferably, your children are not charity cases. If you're supporting them, they're not your charity. If you're helping them, they're not your charity. Neither are your parents your charity cases. So charity is not something that we want or like to do with our own family. But chesed is the foundation of any relationship. Kindness. The right words, the right face. Hazal tell us that a smile is so beneficial, even more than, more nutritious than even food, than good milk. Chesed is also done, says the Gemara, that you could do it for both those who are alive and those who aren't here. You can't give charity to those who are deceased. But chesed you can do for them. By burying them, that's one kind of chesed. But afterwards, if you're related, if you're family, you do so much chesed 
with those who did for you by uplifting their souls with your great actions. Every time I do something good in my life, my Father, Allah Shalom, is elevated. I don't have to say it. I don't have to go up to the Torah and make hashkava. It's automatic. The people who invested in you, the more you lift yourself, the more they're being lifted. That's a tremendous honor and chesed that you could do for people who are not lo- no longer with us. So that's the two. Mishpat, don't bother people, don't hurt people, don't annoy people, don't embarrass people. Chesed, how much are you thinking about others? What are you doing for other people? What's the third one? The third one says, Micha is Hatsneya Lechet. Hatsneya Lechet means you should walk with Senyut. In some circles, the word Senyut is a dirty word. It's not a word that people appreciate. Unfortunately, in most circles, they don't even know what it means. Forget appreciate it. As so often happens in life, there are certain words and certain concepts that you just assume you know what they are. But you have no idea what it is. Because no one ever taught you. They talk about it always in conversations, but never once explained it. And based on the conversations, there was a certain negativity that came out of it. Hatsneya Lechet is one of the three pillars of a person's life. Nobody would argue with me about Mishpat. Nobody here would say, oh, Mishpat, really, is that so important? To annoy people, is that a big deal? To curse people, is that really a big deal? Does it really matter if I embarrass people all day? Nobody here would say that. It's obvious, of course. Ahavat Hesed, who could argue with that? And who would have imagined that the third partner in these most important fundamentals is Tzenyut? We may look at Tzenyut as something that's extra, something that's beautiful, maybe not beautiful, maybe not so beautiful. Whoever dreamt that Tzenyut would make it to the top three in the most important pillars of your life and in my life. And that's why we cannot ignore this subject. I don't mean me, I can't ignore it. I definitely can't ignore it. I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't teach what's meant to be taught at any cost. I don't mean for me, I mean for you. Every person must open their ears and then open their hearts to take on a new understanding. The understanding is not new. It's only new because we never really heard about it the right way. I believe that most people 
do not know what the word Seniyot means. I'm not coming to give you any Hidushim. Don't think I'm making up something new. But the ignorance on this subject is so big that whenever you explain it, it's going to be new. How important is this Seniyot? Well, it made it to the top three. If you took 613 and you narrowed it down to three, I would have loved to give you a piece of paper right now with a pen and come back in 10 minutes and told you, listen, 613 mitzvot, you're familiar with a lot of them? Let's narrow it down to the three most important ones. And I'd like you to write down, what are the three? I want you to guess, what would be the three? I don't think... I don't think... I don't think that anybody here would have dreamt that Senyut would make it to that list. Let me tell you a story, a very famous story, but maybe there's one detail that isn't as famous. We know the great Rabbi Akiva became one of the greatest humans that ever lived on this planet. So great was Rabbi Akiva that Hazal tells us that when Moshe Rabbeinu was going to get the Torah from Har Sinai, Hashem described to him in the future about a great man by the name of Rabbi Akiva. And according to the description, Moshe tells Hashem, why are you giving the Torah to me? Isn't he more worthy than I am? And Hashem didn't give him a good answer. He just said, because that's why, that's what I thought to do. Obviously, there's a good answer. But it was a question. Who should get the Torah? Rabbi Akiva or Moshe Rabbeinu? That was the discussion. How did Rabbi Akiva become Rabbi Akiva? Well, Hazal tells us that till the age of 40, he was a complete Am Ha'aretz. He was ignorant. And there was a woman by the name of Rahel. This woman was the daughter of a very wealthy man. Is it possible you could tell him to turn on the AC? Make it higher. Thank you. This woman came from a very wealthy home, a very prestigious home. Her father had dreams for her to marry a great Torah scholar. In fact, Hazal tell us how much this woman loved the Torah, how much she sacrificed for Torah. So here you go, you have a young lady who has a very wealthy home. She loves and appreciates Torah and wants a Talmud Hacham. And you could just imagine how many choices she must have had in that position. Her father surely was very excited about what would be. And one day she walks in and she tells her father that she wants to marry 
a 40-year-old. Probably by then he already passed out. <laughs> Why would, would this young lady marry a 40-year-old? And who is this 40-year-old? What does he do? Which yeshiva is he learning in? Is he like some sort of Dayan somewhere? Is he a, a great scholar? Who is he? Oh, his name is Akiva, the shepherd. Akiva, the shepherd. He's a Am Ha'aretz. Why, my dear, would you marry a 40-year-old ignorant person when you have everything in front of you? Her father told her, and you could imagine if you were her father, out of love, no question, he told her, if you marry Akiva, I'm out of your life. I'm not letting this happen. I'm not letting you hurt yourself. I'm not about to agree to this ridiculous shiduch. Obviously hoping that she would understand the gravity of what she's doing. But guess what? She said, you're out? No problem. I will marry him anyway. Whoa. And he became the great Rabbi Akiva. That's a story everybody knows. Question is, what is it that she saw in this man? What did she see? He didn't know Aleph Bet. He's old. What did she see in him? Gemara says, Hazite, she saw him, that he had the midah of tseni'ut. I don't know what that means, by the way. How does a man of 40 years old have this midah of tseni'ut? But whatever tseni'ut is, he had it. And she saw he had tseni'ut. She gave up all the dreams of a young man in the yeshiva people who already accomplished Talmideh Hachamim, she put that down and says, I want this man. That means you could be learning in yeshiva, you could be sitting your whole life learning Torah, and maybe you still don't have sinut. So what is sinut? What is this characteristic? Well, unfortunately, there are two mistakes automatically that come into our minds when we think of the word tseni'ut. Right away, two things come to everybody's mind. Number one, that it has to do with clothing. And number two, that it has to do with women. Those are the two thoughts that automatically enter anyone's mind when they hear the word seniot. Clothing, woman. And it's a very tragic mistake. Because although clothing is involved and women are also involved, but to limit this awesome characteristic of seniot. To make it something so small 
and almost petty is a tragedy for all of us. It's so much bigger than that. As we'll soon see, so much of life's results are coming from either tzenyut or the lack of. As so often in life, we're only able to see results with our eyes. But very few people are able to track back to the steps that led to the problem. We only see problems. You heard about this problem with this young lady or a problem with this young man or the problem this couple is having or the issue they're having with their children. We all hear problems all the time. But it's very hard for us to track back what was the real cause of the problem. And as we will learn today, that most of the issues have very much to do with an ignorance of this subject of tzenyut. So what is tzenyut? What exactly does the word mean? It's going to take me more than a few words to explain it. Every single person, every single one of us, has two parts. There is the physical part, the part that we all see, that we experience physically. And then we have an invisible part. We call it neshama. Goof, body, neshama, soul. The body is visible, the neshama isn't. Now for anybody here who's wondering, how do I know there's a neshama? Who says? Maybe not. How do I know there's an invisible part to me? Where is it? Show me. Well, obviously I can't show you. I told you it's invisible. But it's so easily felt. So, for example, have you ever been jealous of somebody? Of course, we've all been jealous. So right now you're sitting there and you're in pain, you're, in jealous. you're, you're jealous. Your friend just had a baby and hasn't been working for you. Your friend just got married and you're not finding your shidduch. It's hard. It's hard to be there. I mean, you're, in, you're happy for her, but it's hard. You're not making ends meet and your friend that you went to school with who basically dropped out of school in ninth grade. He owns half of New York City. And you went to a PhD and you can't pay rent. Feeling a little jealous? Maybe. It's hard. We, we've all felt jealousy. If I would ask you, so show me, where is the jealousy? Show me, where is it? Say, I can't show it to you. What does that mean? I can't show it to you. But do you feel jealousy? Yes. Where is it? You feel love for someone? Of course. Show me. Which x-ray machine is going to show your love for someone? Can't see it. But you know 
when you love someone. You know when you hate someone. When you have feelings of compassion for someone. Where are all those in your body? The answer is they're not. They're invisible. Actually, believe it or not, and this requires maybe another class, if you take notice, all the important things in life are invisible. What makes a marriage Gan Eden is the invisible part of marriage. It's the sensitivity. It's the love. It's the part that nobody sees. The most important part of a person are his feelings, his kindness. When you go on a date with somebody, the visible part is way second or third or even tenth to the most important, which is who they are. And who they are is not described by their height or their weight. It's their wisdom. Show me, where's your wisdom? You have two people. One person is ignorant. One has wisdom. Could you show me the wisdom? Can't see it. You know why? Because it's so important. You know why the important things in life are invisible? Because Hashem is invisible. Because important things have no boundaries. Hashem has no boundaries. Physical things have boundaries. Things that have no boundary. Spiritual things cannot be bound by physical. The most important part of you and me and the most important part of our relationships in life with our children, with our friends, with the creator of the world is a part that nobody could see. That's not an accident. And because we have these two parts, we humans may have an identity crisis. It's a crisis. Imagine a person doesn't know who they are. It's very sad. They ask him, what's your name? Oh, I forgot. So we want to write the check, a big check, because you worked so hard this week. Who should we write it to? Oh, I forgot. He gave him the wrong name. And they wire the money to somebody else. So you worked for a month and he got the money. Aye. An identity crisis means you don't know who you are. Now that may sound like an odd thing. Who doesn't know who they are? What does that mean? But we all have an identity crisis. Because ultimately every person has to ask themselves, Who are you? Who am I? Who's talking to you now? I mean, I'm using my mouth. But who is using my mouth? Who's listening? You're using your ears, but who's the one listening? When I move my hand, my fingers, who decided to do that? Who am I? The answer is that I am my soul. I'm my neshama. My body is like my clothing. My body is like my tools. I use my body. 
I'm not my body. I am something much more beautiful, much more powerful, much more real than the body that I have on top of me. There's an identity crisis. Because if you don't think about this and you live your life on Madison Avenue and you pick up magazines, especially in the Western world, it would almost seem obvious that I am my body. What, what does that mean? I don't understand the question. But it takes a class like this to sit down and let's work it out step by step. And like I said before, not only am I my neshama, but the most important part of me is my neshama. The part that's going to make a difference in all of my investments in this world. My marriage is going to be great or terrible, not based on my body. The body is a very small part of the success of my marriage. It has everything to do with me with the invisible part of me. Raising my children to be great people, happy people. By the way, where's happiness? You could be a happy person or an unhappy person. Where is that? Show me, where on the x-ray machine does it show happiness or the opposite? It doesn't. Because that exists in you, the invisible you. But that's the most important part of you. Being married to a happy person or being a happy person is the most important ingredient of any relationship. Raising powerful children has everything to do with your neshama and very little to do with your goof. There's nothing really important in this world that you won't have to go to your neshama to make it successful. My goal today isn't just to give you the philosophical idea of who am I. This value, this understanding of the person and knowing who he is and who he's not makes a very big difference in everyday life. From the morning we wake up till we sleep at night, it makes a very big difference to know who you are and who you're not. And if you ask me what's the difference, I mean both parts are there. So what's the difference if I know that the body is the main thing or the soul is the main thing? What's the difference? They're both there anyway. The answer to that question is that you work for who you are. You put in the effort when you go to work every day for yourself. You don't work for someone else. Where do you put your work when you think about yourself? Where do you invest your energy? Where do you invest your time? Where do you invest your money? In myself. That's okay. You're allowed to be selfish. The most important person in your life first is you. And then you have to expand. But you're first. That's beautiful. But who are you? It's okay to invest in yourself. 
But who are you? If you have the wrong identity, you could be working, you could be spending, you could be sweating day and night for 120 years and you're working for someone other than the real you. And it's such a tragedy. Not only that you wasted your energy, I wish that was the biggest tragedy. The tragedy will show up in the results. When you don't take the real you and focus on it and make it the best that it can be, it's going to show up in all your relationships. It's going to show up in your happiness. It's going to show up in your eternity after 120. But we won't discuss that today. Let's just stay focused in this world. Where you invest your energy makes a very big difference in life results. Nobody gets into a situation in life without the hope of it being awesome, powerful, happy, successful. Nobody gets married without the hope that it will be Gan Eden. Gan Eden always. Nobody raises a child with anything less than greatness in their mind. Nobody wants to be anything less than most happy, simha, all the time. Nobody wants anything less than that. But the results in all of those things and so much more needs an investment. And we invest. But where are you investing? Well, if the idea, the idea isn't so clear who you are, so you could be investing in everything that doesn't really make that much of a difference. And the results, unfortunately, will show. You know, what's interesting is that Adam and Hava, you know, we speak about clothing being tzenyut. Isn't it interesting that when Hashem made the world, there was not even clothing, wasn't even part of the plan? How could this important, crucial, essential idea not even be part of the original plan of creation? It's so important. Top item. And clothing is right there. Right front and center. And you go to the creation of the world, Bereshit, Bara Elohim. Where's clothing? Doesn't appear. How can something be so important and it's not part of the purpose of creation? Only after Adam and Hava, after they ate from the forbidden fruit, only then they got embarrassed and Hashem made them clothing. What was that all about? Why does eating from a forbidden fruit require now clothing? What is the connection between the two? To understand the connection, we have to understand what the word seni'ut means. Seni'ut by definition means 
that there are two things going on somewhere. It could be in the person's body or it could be in an event or anything. And you don't want to lose focus on what's important. The problem is you can't highlight what's important because it's not possible. Is it possible to highlight that which is important but is invisible? Answer is yes. When you cover up what's not important, so it highlights that which is most important. You can have, for example, a wedding that is not senyut, even if everybody there is dressed from top to bottom and there are walls from the entrance all the way to the back of the hall separating men and women. And you can come home and if somebody asks you, say, how was the wedding? It was very, very nice, but it was not senyut. So you're thinking, not senyut, what was going on there? I know. Everything was kosher. But it was not senyut. How can a kosher wedding be not senyut? What does that mean even? It means very simple. That senyut always goes to what's happening and figures out where is the focus. You see, imagine you had a wedding and during this wedding they had concerts going on. They had five, six rooms of concerts. This singer, that singer, you like it this way, they have another one. They have every kind of great singer playing in each room. People are going in, they're going crazy. The bands, 10-piece band, 20-piece band. The food, they flew in chefs from all over the world. The top chef from China, from Japan, from Vietnam, from who knows where. And they have it all, each section. People are eating and they're passing out from the food. The flowers, my goodness, the flowers. Every color, every kind, every country is represented. What a scene. Gorgeous. That wedding is not senyut. And if you tell me why, you don't like nice things, Rabbi? What's the problem? What's wrong with flowers? You don't like flowers? You don't like music? You don't like to eat? What is the purpose of a wedding? The wedding has one purpose. It sometimes can get confused. And people get frustrated for everything that doesn't really matter. What really matters is one thing and one thing only. There's nothing else that matters. The wedding is not for the father of the bride and not for the mother. It's not for the father of the hatan, not for his mother. It's not for the grandparents. It's not for the guests. The wedding has one goal. There's a goal to a wedding. There's a purpose to it. The goal is that you have a couple that's about to start their life. And life in marriage is complicated as anyone in marriage knows. It is complicated. And we need this couple to start strong. We need them to start with their friends. It should be happiness in the air. 
It should be good words being exchanged. Mabruk, we love you, beautiful. Can't wait to come to your wedding. That the goal of that night is that by the time the night ends and the week ends, they should feel so special and so happy that the beginning of their marriage should go off in a very strong way. That is the only purpose of a wedding. There is no other purpose. The fellow that came back from that wedding, they asked him, how was it? Oh, he says, it's gorgeous. You have no idea. Like what? He says, you know, the music, the flowers, the food, the people. Tell me, how was the Hatan and Kala? He said, oh, I forgot to see the Hatan and Kala. Gosh, the Hatan and Kala. Forgot the Hatan and Kala. Now you're laughing, and you think it's exaggerated. I don't think it's exaggerated. I mean, they may see the Hatan and Kala. It's not that important. When you bring people's focus on flowers and carpets and food and music. So what essentially you've done is you focus their attention on all of that. And the most important part, which is the feelings of the Hatan and Kala for themselves, for who they are, not for their money or for their families, when you didn't give them the focus for them and for what's important about them, you failed in that wedding. That's a wedding that's called a failure. Because it's not a senyut wedding. Because senyut by definition means to cover up that which is less important so that you can highlight that which is most important. Just like a person who has a jewelry store and they sell so many pieces of jewelry. They have a window of thousands of pieces. Anybody who wants jewelry walks by that store, sees jewelry, they walk in. But of course, there are other jewelry stores too. And then this store gets in one item that everybody in the world wants. It's a watch that everybody wants and nobody has. What would that store owner do? Would he just put the watch in the window with 2,000 other pieces? Of course not. People might miss it. So what does he have to do to grab their attention? He needs to cover up all the pieces so that they can focus only on that watch. Because you know they're going to come in if they see that watch. But they may not see it. That's called seni'ut. Covering up which is less important. So you could highlight and focus on that which is most important. Adam and Hava before the sin, of course had seni'ut. But in their body, there was no need. Because Adam and Hava were pure creations in a pure world. 
Adam and Hava had no identification crisis. They understood the reality that they are neshama and their body. Ask Adam, what's this on you? Oh, that's my body. It's like my jacket. The same way you would never confuse a coat with the person himself. Nobody would say, that's me. It's not you, it's your coat. Adam and Hava viewed their goof as clothing. It was clear to them. Their purity would not allow them anything but to see clarity. There was no need to cover the body, just like no animal in the world covers their bodies. Clothing is a hidush. It's something new that came only after Adam and Hava lost their purity. When they lost their purity, it causes confusion. Just like the street that's not pure is confusing. So many young people are running to drugs and alcohol and gambling. Why? Why are you doing that? Because when the world is not pure, it's confusing. What's real looks fake. What's fake looks real. People who are low look high. People who are high look low. It's a confusing world. Adam and Hava put themselves in a world of confusion. They were no longer pure like they used to be. And now there exists a danger in their life and in the life of their children. That going forward, they may actually look at their body and say, oh, that's who I am. And they'll invest their whole life in that body. They'll exercise that body. They'll bring out the muscles in that body. They'll feed that body. They'll make everything in their life about the body. That became a real threat to humanity. So Hashem says, I'm going to help them. I'm going to make them clothing. How did He force us? Hashem forced humanity to put clothing on. Even though there are people in the street that are fighting against it. Hashem forced us to put on clothing. He created something called busha. He created something called He created something called being bashful. And He made us ashamed of our body so that we would have to put on clothing. That's why the word in Hebrew for clothing is called levush. Levush is lo busha. So in order not to be embarrassed, we put on clothes. Hashem didn't just ask us to put on clothes like He asks us to do mitzvot. He asked us to keep Shabbat. He asked us to eat kosher. But by clothing, He forced us because it was too dangerous just to ask. He regular forced us by creating an embarrassment that we would have to feel. There's no choice. Interestingly enough, in Hebrew, there's another word for clothing. There's levush 
and there's Beged. The word Beged comes from the word Bagad. The word Bagad means when a person betrays somebody. When Adam and Hava betrayed the creator of the world and betrayed their soul, they needed a Beged. Same word. And this is the world that we live in. We live in a world where it's very confusing. When people grow up in this country or many other countries, who are you? And what are you working your whole life to achieve? Tzenyot is the answer that the Creator gives that you need to always remember who you really are. Remember what's really going to matter in everything that you do. You give me a relationship. What's going to matter is the invisible part. It's all about the invisible part. It's all about your neshama. Cover up that which is less important so you could highlight that which is most important. When a person presents themselves in front of somebody, they make a statement. And when a person is not sanua, Women, men, clearly women are going to be an important part of this discussion because beauty has much more to do with women than men. But men too. When a man walks around with a watch that's worth who knows how much money and with a suit that's shining with the brand name and with shoes that are screaming loud, what's he saying? What is he saying? He's making a statement. Let's not imagine that there's nothing going on. There's something very big going on. You're making a statement. You're saying, this is who I am. I am my watch. I am my car. I am my clothing. This is who I am. That's a very dangerous statement. It's dangerous for two reasons. Number one, you stop working for the most part, the important part of you. And the people that you're going to attract are going to be attracted to that part of you. So not only are you not working on your real self, you're going to attract people who also don't care for that. Imagine the greatness of those relationships. Tzeni'ut is a statement. When a person is dressed beautifully, by the way, there's a word to differentiate because some people might be sitting and saying, so I'm not supposed to look nice? I'm not supposed to wear a nice watch? 
I should put my body down. I shouldn't have a decent house. What are you saying? So you should know the difference between two words. And they're a big difference. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you the lines. Because everyone is smart enough to know. There's a word called attractive. And there's a word called attracting. And they're very different words. Actually, clothing is supposed to be beautiful. We find in the Torah that the Kohen Gadol wore the most beautiful pieces of garments, of clothing. In fact, there was a point in history where they were no longer the oil. They used to anoint the Kohen Gadol to become the Kohen Gadol. So how did they make him a Kohen Gadol? Hazal say his clothing. When he put on his clothing, he became the Kohen Gadol. Clothing. The great rabbis would say to their clothing, they called Mane, their clothing, Mechabdutai, those who give me honor. Clothing is very important. How would you know from a person who's a very hashuv person, a wise person, or a person maybe not so hashuv, not so important? Clothing makes a big statement. Are you a plumber? Are you a Talmud Hacham? Are you a doctor? Well, what are you? Clothing is supposed to be giving us a little insight about who's the real you. It's supposed to shine the real you like a beautiful envelope that has inside it a wonderful, gorgeous letter. The letter is the key. The words of that letter are the key. But the envelope gives it the right feeling as the person opens it up. You don't take a letter and throw it in the guy's hand. Clothing is supposed to elevate or show the elevation of what's inside. That's called attractive. Attractive is a good thing. It's the right thing. Attracting is a whole new world. Attracting means that I'm trying to attract you to my watch. I'm trying to attract you to my clothes. I'm trying to attract you to my car. I'm trying to attract you to my body. I want to show you what's really important to me and what I'm all about. This is me. This is who I am. Could you imagine how dangerous that is? Could you imagine a hatan and kala getting married on that premise? Where their attraction to each other has everything to do with not important things. She's attracted to his watch. He's attracted to something else. And then they go into marriage. And then we wonder a few years later, what's going on? Why is it so difficult? I don't understand. Why is marriage not the Gan Eden that the Torah speaks about? Why? It's obvious. 
Why is an 18-year-old young lady involved in things that we would say, come on, that's not good, that's not right, it's not good for her. Why? Because it could be that for 18 years, all she's been taught to focus on, whether it's her home or the street or both, or her friends, she's been taught by Madison Avenue that she's an object and she needs to show her object. She's not her feelings. She's not her wisdom. She's not her strength. She's not her happiness. The opposite, if a man or woman, when they present themselves as attractive, without attracting, attractive, that's a huge statement. People think that it means to cover up. No, no, it doesn't mean to cover up. It means to highlight. It's a huge difference. I'm not looking to cover up. I'm, like, I'm looking to highlight something. Because when I cover up that which is less important, I'm trying to tell you something. When a young lady goes on a date and she dressed regal, attractive, but not attracting, she's saying something. That's a huge statement. She's saying I'm deeper than what you see. She's saying I have simha inside of me. I'm a humble person. I'm a patient person. That's where I work. That's where I struggle. Right there. That's what I'm trying to highlight to you. I'm saying something to you. It's not, oh, let me cover up so they can say I'm sinyut. There's a statement being made when a person acts with sinyut. When I make a wedding for my daughter and I bring some flowers, something nice, something attractive. You bring food, nice, attractive. Music, nice, attractive. And that's it. Because I want the night to be about them. That's called a wedding that's attractive, but not attracting. And everyone knows the difference. You don't have to be a rabbi or a genius when the line is crossed. Everyone knows when they go to a wedding if that wedding is attractive or attracting. Everyone knows. And this is a lifestyle. It's not only women, it's men. It's not only clothing, it's weddings. It's not only weddings, it's everything. Really, it has to do with so much. Senyut. The key to successful life. It's what you want for your children. There's nothing more beautiful. I mentioned the other day. When my father, Alava Shalom, spoke at my bar mitzvah. It's actually the only time I have him recorded speaking. And over there he says that your parents, talking to me, do a lot for you. And there's no way that you can repay them. 
You can't give them money. You can't give them honor. I mean, you could, but it's not going to repay them. He says there's only one value. There's only one value that can be a payment to your parents, and that is to make yourself a person of value. Because there's no greater pleasure and no greater result in all the hard work of your parents than to see a person of value. There's nothing you want more for your children than to elevate the invisible part of their being, their sensitivity to other people. What will make a marriage successful if not sensitivity? Their happiness, their inner happiness. What will be the most important part of a home, the atmosphere, if not their happiness? And so much more. Where does that come from? How do you bring that into the lives of your family? It's called seniut. That's the magic word. It's seniut in everything. Yes, it has to do with women. Yes, it has to do with clothing. Don't walk out of here saying the rabbi said, has nothing to do with women, has nothing to do with clothing. I know some people are going to say that. Ah, he gave a great class on seniut, no women and no clothing. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it would be petty to make it such a small subject when it's so big and so wide, so far-reaching. It's interesting, by the way, I mentioned to you that clothing is levush, is to avoid the embarrassment. Whose embarrassment? The embarrassment of the soul when the person is identifying himself as somebody else. Imagine there's a married couple and the wife gets a dog. And she calls the dog by the name of her husband. Could you imagine that? She says, hey, Joe. Joe, come here. Joe, go get that. How do you feel as a husband if your wife bought a dog? That's one. One strike. Maybe not for everybody. And then she names him with your name. How terrible is that? That's how the neshama feels when we spend our lives identifying ourselves as a goof. It's embarrassing. And by the way, that's why if you notice, the only two parts of the body that we're not embarrassed to leave exposed is our face and our hands. Because animals don't have a face like a human. A human face has so much depth to it. You can look at a human and learn so much about them from their face. And animals have legs, four legs. They don't have hands. That's the part that the rest of our body is like a behemoth. It's like an animal. Animals eat, they drink, they mate. But animals don't have a face and hands like us. That part we leave exposed. We're humans. We're special. We're not a goof. We're not a behemoth. We're something so much deeper. 
it's always been a sign of a great person. I gave you an example by Rabbi Akiva. Now you understand why this woman, I don't know what she saw exactly, I don't know. But she saw in him tzeniot. Now I think we understand you know how powerful that is. She saw a man who understood who he is and was just missing the information. But he was there, ready. We see by Ruth, this great woman, that when Boaz saw a young lady in the field with many other people, something attracted him to her. And he says, Who is this young lady? And Hazal asked, Why is he asking about her? What did he see in her? And Hazal explained, He saw her tzaniyut. She was so special in the way she carried herself. I don't know exactly what she did. And it's not important. But what's important is, He saw this beautiful midah. At the end of the day, tzniut is pnimiut. Pnimiut means inside, internal, real. Tzniut means pnimiut. It's one and the same. And therefore, it's no accident that when you look at our history, you will find statements like this. Hazal say, Bishar nashim Tzidkaniyot, it was the reward of the righteous woman, Nig'alu Yisrael Mimitzrayim. Yisrael was redeemed from a terrible time in our history. You know who was really behind that? So interesting. Men should be so offended by this. Because of woman. But that should open our eyes. Why? Why the woman? Why, you tell me there are no great men there? I don't know, Kohen wasn't a great man? You tell me there are no great people in our nation, in Mitzrayim, only woman? First of all, what does it mean, tzitkaniyot? People don't even know what this means. What does it mean, nashim tzitkaniyot? You know what that means? Righteous woman. What does it mean to be a righteous woman? Let me tell you what Rashi says, Alava Shalom, what it means to be a righteous woman. Rashi says that a righteous woman is a tsenua, a woman who has tsenut. She's called righteous. And why the woman more than the men? Because there is no one more instrumental in building the Jewish nation, the family, the future of our people than woman. And when a woman has sinyut, it's not just about her. Her home changes, her children change, her husband changes. It's so much bigger than herself. A man changes, it's about him. A woman changes, her sinyut, it's about so much more. You want to know what was the greatness of Am Yisrael in Egypt that elevated them? It was the woman's you know, they say, we know what is 
Talmud Torah Keneget Kulam. We know the greatest mitzvah a man has is to learn Torah. Meaning, if he has to save someone's life, he closes the book. If his parents need him, he closes the book. If he has to do a mitzvah and nobody else could do it, he closed the book. That's obvious. But if there was a choice, what would be the greatest mitzvah? Talmud Torah Keneget Kulam. The greatest mitzvah. Nice. They ask, what is the greatest mitzvah of a woman? What's her Talmud Torah? Woman has a mitzvah to learn, like you're learning, but a different kind of learning. The Talmud Torah of a man is way different. So she doesn't have that same mitzvah. Women have to learn so they could practice. Men have to learn just to learn. So how does a woman have that mitzvah? What's her greatest? What's the woman's Talmud Torah keneget kulam? What is it? They say in the name of the Gaon, and actually when you learn it, it's very simple and obvious, that the woman's Talmud Torah is called Tzenyut. And if you ask me why, what does Talmud Torah have to do with Tzenyut? Okay, Tzenyut is a great subject, it's a very important subject. What does it have to do with Talmud Torah? The answer is that woman, as you all know, and any husband knows, at least if he's up and aware, that women have something called that we call Bina. Bina, if you didn't see it in real life, you wouldn't imagine it's possible. But women have a certain sense of wisdom. They're able to pick up things that a man his whole life can't pick up. For example, a child could be on the table and he ate 10 minutes ago and the woman says, he's starving. The husband says, what? The husband could have him for three days and didn't feed him. And he doesn't realize that he's hungry. It's a very big difference. That's just one example. But you get the rest. Women have a certain sense, a certain chokhmah. Hashem gave them. They don't need to learn like a man. They already have it. They're born with it. That's what Hashem told Avraham Avinu. When they were debating about Ishmael, he has to go. Avraham says, no. I knew, how could I send him? It's my son. Hashem told Avraham, listen to your wife. She knows better than you. That's a big statement to the great Avraham Avinu. Listen to your wife. She knows what she's talking about. A woman has an inborn Torah. So that shows that, wow, great. That means women have the chokhmah. By the way, I always ask, just for me, so a guy's having an issue, business, this, what? What does your wife think? You learn so much when you hear about what his wife thinks. So now that means every woman has chokhmah. But not every woman behaves with chokhmah. And if you ask me, how come? Where's the chokhmah of that lady? Look what she did. Look at the chokhmah of that lady. Look how she raised her children. Look how she did her house. Look how she... You, that's chokhmah. Where's the Torah? Well, let me tell you about this chokhmah. This chokhmah 
is in the, in the invisible part of the woman, like every chokmah. When she's focused on her goof, she doesn't pay attention to that chokmah. And therefore the wisdom is not realized. It's there, but ignored. Because you're not focused on it. A woman who has sani'ut is a woman who has her Talmud Torah. She has wisdom to run her home in the most difficult situations. She knows what to do, what not to do. Her husband is difficult, but she has a way. She has that chokhmah. She figures it out. By the way, it's no accident. It's no accident that the Torah speaks about the tzenyut of Sarah in the Torah right before that story. Before the story of Sarah and Abraham talks about the angels, how they highlighted her tzenyut. Because with tzenyut, you have wisdom. For men, they have to work on the wisdom. Women, they already have it. Just need to focus on it. I will end off with the following Midrash. The Midrash says that Rahel Imenu had two people in her history, her children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, two that had a similar challenge and a similar great ending. And the Midrash says that one of them is Yosef. Yosef, it says by Yosef, when he was in Egypt, a 17-year-old man, young man, by himself, Vaihi kedabera el Yosef yom yom. She spoke to Yosef yom yom. She wanted to marry Yosef. Every day she would tell him, Yosef, come on. What are you doing? And yet he resisted. You know how hard that is? You know when you're on a diet and you have a piece of chocolate in front of you? And you just say, I just want to see how it tastes. And before you know it, it's gone. It's so hard to say no when you want something. Yosef, every day, he would not listen to her. Says the Midrash, look at Rahel's son. Says the Midrash, somebody else, his name is Mordechai. In Megillat Esther, the Pasuk says that everyone's bowing to Haman by the king's orders. And he, Mordechai wouldn't do that. They would tell him every day, the peer pressure. You could just imagine, Mordechai, what are you doing? You're making trouble for our people. Just bow. When they told him day after day, and he didn't pay attention to them. Says the Midrash, Rahel's grandson that was. He was from Binyamin. What does the Midrash want? Why is it connecting Yosef and Mordechai to Rahel? What's the connection? And what's this Yom Yom business? Why is it repeated twice in 
both Pesukim. So I'm going to tell you that life has a lot of challenges, as you know. There are challenges of desire, like Yosef had. There's peer pressure, like Mordechai had. There sometimes is a hashkafa challenge, a, a, a way to look at life and it's being attacked like Mordechai had. Everyone's bowing to him. That was the way to do it. You're going against the wave. Very hard in life when there are these challenges that come into your life. Well, that was what Yosef had and that's what Mordechai had. And it was Yom Yom. You know what's hard about the challenges is when you live your life as if all you see is all there is. You see, there are people who live life that whatever you see, that's what there is. So you see today, that's what there is. Not like the Mishnah and Perkei Avot says, that this world is like a, a vestibule. It's just a way to get to the real world. Now, you see it, this is it. When you look at the day as this is it, there's nothing more than what my eye can see, there's nothing more than now, then you're going to lose every battle in life. You'll lose the spiritual battles, you'll lose, you'll lose the peer pressure battles, you'll lose every battle in life when it's about the yom. That's why in both cases they kept pushing him, yom, yom, yom. Come on, what are you doing? She tells him, what are you doing, Yosef? Why would you not do this? Why would you not agree to this? Come on, yom, look what you have in front of you today. You know how many people are challenged with the yom, yom challenge? Every person that you know struggling with something, it has to do with yom, yom. If they would see deeper, if they would see further, they would have the strength that's what the Midrash is saying. You know how Yosef and Mordechai were able to beat the yom yom? You're struggling with something. You can't control yourself. You have a problem and you can't fight it. You have desires that you can't stop. You know why you can't stop? You know what's not giving you the strength? Because you're a yom yom person. You're dealing with things as they are. Where's your depth? Where is a thought of something bigger, greater? Where is the invisible part of you? Not the yom part that everybody could see. Everyone sees chocolate, but could you see health? Everyone sees a desire, but could you see a great family? Every person that messed up their marriage, what did they do? They fell to the yom, yom. If they thought a little deeper, if they were focused a little deeper, they would see so much more. The challenge of the Yom Yom was the challenge of Mordechai and Yosef and so many people every single day. And says the Midrash, you want to know how they were able to have that strength? We all need strength. We need strength with Senyut. We need strength for many challenges in life. You and I both know that. Where do you find that strength? Where do they sell it? How much does it cost? Says the Midrash, you need to have the genes 
of Rahel Imenu. Rahel Imenu? What did she do? What was so special about Rahel Imenu that gave her children this strength? Says the Gemara in Masechet Megillah. And with this Gemara I end. Because there's nothing more beautiful that I could tell you. Says the Gemara, Bishar Tzenyut Shehaitaba Berachel. Rachel Imenu had the Tzenyut. And with that, she built not just her family, she built eternity. Why? Her Tzenyut. Now, if I asked you, Tzenyut, Rachel, where? What did she do? That was Tzenyut. Did you ever see what she wore? No. Did the Torah ever describe her dress? No. What did she do? Where was Tzenyut in Rahel Imenu's life? And then the Gemara goes on to tell us about the famous story of Rahel and Leah. When Rahel is supposed to get married to Yaakov, she tells Yaakov, listen, my father is for sure going to switch. He's not letting this happen. She's older than me. Let's make a sign that nothing goes wrong. Comes the wedding night. She sees what's going to happen to her sister under the chuppah. She's going to be embarrassed. She said, How can I embarrass my, my, my sister? She saw the depth, she saw the future of her actions. Living with embarrassing your sister has some very big ramifications. Hazal tell us that a person is supposed to die before they embarrass somebody in public. Literally. Die. It's a big deal to embarrass somebody. She saw the effects of that embarrassment. She saw the yom. Right now it's Yaakov, my husband. If I give up Yaakov, I don't get married. Who knows who I get married to? That's the yom. The depth was, I can't embarrass my sister. She gave her sister the simanim. That was called senyut. Not about clothing. About seeing the depth. About seeing the invisible. About focusing on the values. And not what's in front of you now. Not the yom. Not the physical. Not in front of what's your eyes. Seeing much deeper says the Midrash, this is the power of Yosef and Mordechai, and it's the power of your children. The Midrash is not telling us a historical event. That's teaching you something. It's teaching me something. You know how you give your children strength? Oh boy, do they need strength today. They always needed strength. Today, your children need strength for so many reasons. Too long for this class to list. So many reasons your children need strength. They're up against the yom, yom, every day. And they need that strength. And you wonder, how come they just can't say no? How come they fall in these things? I don't understand. But when you're in a yom, yom challenge, it's impossible. And what you and I could do for our children is we could be the Rahel of Yosef and Mordechai. And how? What do we have to do? Tzenyut. Tzenyut is in reality one of the pillars of the great person. It's covering that which is 
less important to highlight that which is most important. And the most important part of me and you is the part that nobody could see. That is the part that makes all the difference. And we need to always have it on display. You can't see it. Covering highlights it. Baruch Anay Le'olam. Amen ve'amen. Yeah.